From Georgia Public Broadcasting, this is On Second Thought. I'm Virginia Prescott. New and expecting mothers are frequently told that their lives will change once their baby arrives. They don't always hear how, especially when it comes to their careers. Caitlin Collins is a sociologist at Washington University in St. Louis. She conducted interviews with mothers around the world and found American moms feel far more stressed out than women in three other developed countries. She'll be at the University of Georgia on Friday to talk about her book, Making Motherhood Work, How Women Manage Careers and Caregiving. And connecting with us today from St. Louis, Caitlin, welcome. Thank you. All right, so you looked at motherhood in the U.S., Italy, Germany, and Sweden. What questions were you setting out to answer? I was curious about whether women living in countries that have very different work-family policies to support women's roles, both as mothers and as workers, influence the way that mothers operate in their day-to-day lives, as well as the cultural attitudes that influence moms' abilities to manage these two very important roles in their lives. And I found, of course, that uh, in, in fact, policy and culture do play an enormous role in influencing how moms make decisions about employment and motherhood. Well, so right off the bat, you say, let's face it, it's harder to be a working mother in the United States than any other country in the developed world. You found American moms far more stressed out and more overwhelmed. How did they describe that experience? Moms described overwhelming stress and exhaustion. And American mothers talked constantly about time in ways that Sweden, German, and Italian mothers did not. They talked about not having enough time, fitting in more time, squeezing in time, running out of time. And uh, women seemed stressed to the max. And To be honest with you, they also cried more often during our interviews, uh, most often in response to one question that I hadn't anticipated this response to. And that was the question, everyone has their own ideas about what it means to be a good mother. But to you, what does it mean to be a good mother to your children? Hmm. So did you find these kind of answers and maybe even the tears across race and socioeconomic demographics, which are usually the ways that we stratify sociological research? Great question. I the majority of my interviews were conducted with middle-class mothers, primarily white mothers in the European sample and a a wider diversity of racial and ethnic minorities here in the U.S. because language wasn't as big a barrier to recruitment for the study. And it's really important to drive home the point that the sample of mothers that I was speaking to, these middle-class, primarily white mothers, these women are sort of a best-case scenario. And if they are this stressed out, if they have the resources, both financially and socially, to navigate employment and motherhood with uh, this advantage status, imagine how much more difficult life is for mothers who are, for example, low income, who experience racial discrimination in the labor market, um, women who are, who, are, who are going it alone and don't have partners, for example. And the work family policies here in the U.S. are not designed to support families. We think of families here in the U.S. as a private responsibility, which of course means those with more financial resources have the greater ability to manage both employment and caregiving. So those are the women who are most likely to be able to take a day off if their child is sick, for example. Exactly, or not to not get fired if they do need to take that day off. This is interesting because the idea of family, this is central to and valued in American culture. So how is the U.S. supporting or not supporting families of working mothers? This is what I find so paradoxical about the U.S. case. We talk about U.S. families as being the backbone of our society, the foundation upon which everything else is built. And while that may be true, culturally speaking, politically, again, we think of families as a private responsibility. You hear people saying all the time, often when I call into shows like this, 
folks call in the show to say to me, I don't want to pay for someone else's kids. The reality, of course, is that caregiving benefits all of us, those of us who have children, those of us who do not. Children themselves are a public good, right? They benefit everyone as future workers, taxpayers, and citizens. And here in the U.S., again, we think of families as being up to the – it's up to families themselves to manage these responsibilities. The U.S. has no national support system for caregiving. We have no paid maternity leave. We're one of two countries on the planet that doesn't offer that. It's just the U.S. and Papua New Guinea. We have no national social insurance system, no national system for caregiving and child care. Uh, we have very, very few uh, requirements around paid vacation and sick days. There's no federal minimum standard for, work or for employers to offer any of that to their employees. And, and of are those course, what this means it, it, keep, it keeps women in dire straits in their family life. But what do all of the countries that you spoke with, or women that you spoke with in other countries, and of course you looked at their political and social welfare and their social safety nets as well, did they all offer those kind of benefits to women? They sure did. And, and often Americans look to Europe as sort of this gender equality nirvana, thinking that things must be perfect there. And they're not perfect. But to be honest, they're far better than what we have here in the U.S. Every one of those countries has a national child care system. So either starting from the ages of one or three years old, children have a guaranteed spot in a high quality subsidized child care facility. Uh, all of them have paid leave that ranges from five months in Italy to a year in Sweden and Germany. Um, in, in a country like Sweden, they also encourage men to take equal uh, part of family life by taking not only paternity leave, but also to share in, in as you pointed out, the, the daily ins and outs of caregiving, which might mean taking a day off work, et cetera. And so, again, these policy supports, as well as the cultural attitude that men should play a bigger role in family life, made it easier for women to reconcile their responsibilities at home and at work. Well, attitude is one thing. Policy is another thing, as you're pointing out to us. But social, societal, cultural mores influence how we are expected to perform in the office and at home so how much of the emotion that you heard from women about their inadequacy, let's say, was driven by the mother's own expectations of themselves? Great question. Women's own expectations of themselves can't be understood devoid of their cultural environment or context, right? The ways that we think about what it means to be a good mother uh, or a good partner or a good worker are deeply embedded in our societal context. And here in the U.S., um, sociologists use the phrase intensive mothering to talk about... Say that again. I'm sorry. Your voice was a little clear. They use the term what? Intensive mothering. Intensive this mothering. Okay. Intensive mothering. The idea that motherhood should be time-intensive, it should be all-consuming, women's full attention, energy, time, and commitment should be to their children and their families. And this is an impossible ideal to live up to. No one can dedicate 24 hours a day. And what it ends up setting up women for is failure. It makes women feel that they're failing their children. And I think that helps explain the stress and guilt and uh, tears that you mentioned earlier when it came to the interviews with moms here in the U.S. Caitlin Collins, please hold on with us. Caitlin Collins is going to be at UGA on Friday to talk about her book, Making Motherhood Work, How Women Manage Careers and Caregiving. When we come back, we'll talk more about the role of men or partners in caregiving and also about that guilt. We're back with On Second Thought. I'm Virginia Prescott, and sociology professor Caitlin Collins is with us. Her work expands upon new findings from the Pew Research Center that about half of U.S. parents say working makes it harder for them to be, quote, good parents. Interestingly, about the same amount feel like they are not giving enough at work. Caitlin's book, Making Motherhood Work, is her study of working mothers' daily lives in four countries, which makes the case for a revolution in policy and culture to 
to adequately support them. She's speaking at UGA on Friday. So, Caitlin, back to this idea from your studies of Germany, Italy, Sweden, what motivate them in policy and infrastructure and culture to make such a strong support for working mothers? Well, it's very clear that supporting women and their ability to reconcile employment and caregiving is, of course, good for women and for families, but it's also good for businesses and the economy. So a number of these countries, for example, in Germany, were facing a skilled labor shortage as well as low fertility rates. And the research is, again, abundantly clear that when you help women reconcile their roles as mothers and as paid workers, this enables women, of course, to decide to have children and to return to the labor force quickly after having them. So, of course, instrumentally speaking, this is advantageous both for businesses and the national economy. It's, of course, a feminist issue uh, as well, right? The idea that women should be able to do this, uh, to be able to participate in the paid labor force as well as care for families is uh, a matter of gender inequality. The fact that, that women tend to bear the responsibility for family life is a matter of national policy. So a country like Sweden, for example, where gender equality is a cornerstone of their social policy, encourages and, in fact, expects men to participate equally in family life and in breadwinning, just like women. Well, you made the point earlier about, you know, we tend to think of in America, these are our children, but when you decide to go to work, and then it's your problem. You're taking, you're on your own. I think you're on your own is something I saw a lot in this book among American women. So do you think that Let's look at this economically for the U.S. There's this idea that still it, it's a choice for women to work. I mean, what do women what does women's work mean in the American economy? In the 21st century, it's economically necessary for most families to have two earners to stay afloat. And so it's no longer a choice whether or not women are working outside the home. The choice is entirely constrained by the financial realities of life today, and uh, especially post-recession, especially in the fact that we see declining wages over the past several decades. This means that families are financially constrained in their options, and this means usually with families that have two parents, both need to work outside the home. So the equation is a very simple one, though a confusing one. If both parents have to work outside the home and they have children who are younger than five or six years old before they start attending uh, elementary school, who in the world is taking care of those children? And the reality is that families, again, who are better resourced, more financially able to provide high quality care, send their kids there. And we end up seeing dramatic disparities between kids who have access to very high quality early childhood education and care and those who don't. And this has consequences for children across the life course, as well as, of course, for future employers, taxpayers and citizens. Well, the the willingness to pay for other people's children, as you said earlier, is not universally loved in these countries. There's been a big backlash against high tax rates in some quarters in Sweden, Italy and Germany. So do you find that criticism of dependency or the the idea of the welfare mom uh, using the terms that they use in those countries that is gained that have gained so much ground here in the U.S. in those other countries? In these other countries, there certainly is a backlash and uh, it's racially coded, this backlash, to be honest with you. So we talk in the U.S., uh, there's a lot of vitriol against folks who are immigrants here in the U.S. This is a similar conversation that you're hearing in some pockets of society across these three countries in Europe. Of course, the reality is that it's important for us to support families across the socioeconomic spectrum, regardless of their background or their nationality, because all of these families are participating in our economy. And again, in order for our economy to thrive, we need 
stable, healthy families. And in the U.S., again, we don't think of supporting families as a public good. But what could be more important than stable, healthy families? These are European countries, the three that I conducted interviews in, have already reached consensus on this decades ago and understand that, again, it's in everyone's best interest to support families, whether or not you have children, right? And here in the U.S., we already do this. We have universal education for children ages K through 12. Why don't we extend this logic a few years earlier in the life course for kids and think about what it would, what would, what it would mean not, not only for families but for businesses and the economy to, to universalize, for example, pre-K so that all children starting, let's say, at the ages of two or three have a safe, healthy, and productive environment to spend their time when their parents work outside the home. Well, that is on the number of Democratic candidates, are inclu- presidential candidates, I should say, are including policies for family leave, pre-K, and child care in their platforms. But since you're talking about policy shifts also requiring a cultural shift, a shift in thinking, how does that work? How do you push that up the hill? Oh, man, that's a million-dollar question. I wish I had an easy answer for it. I think policy and culture, we have to think of being as deeply intertwined with one another, right? Sometimes policies are implemented that are quite progressive, and it sort of pulls cultural attitudes along with it. And sometimes the reverse happens. For example, in Germany, they, they for a long time had three years of paid maternity leave available for families. And of course, this is hugely disadvantageous to women's career prospects, their lifetime earnings attainment, for example. And cultural attitudes said that most women did not want to work, uh, want to stay home for three years uh, and experience the sort of penalties that happened for mothers once they returned to the labor force. And they ended up reducing the, the paid parental leave available to families there to one year, which boosts women's labor force participation. And that's an example of how cultural attitudes sort of pulled policy in a more progressive direction. So here in the U.S., it's abundantly obvious that families want paid parental leave. They want some sort of paid family leave to handle illness, whether that's for children or themselves, uh, perhaps elderly parents, for example. The the consensus here in the U.S. is clear. What we need is a political will to pass these policies. Families are ready and on board, as are businesses. In places like California that has had a paid parental leave system that's gender neutral for more than a decade now, employers report either a neutral or a positive impact on worker productivity, on profitability, on turnover, and on morale. So again, yes, these policies are beneficial for mothers, for fathers, and for children, but they're also beneficial for businesses and for our national competitiveness uh, in the 21st century global economy. Caitlin Collins, thank you so much for speaking with us. Happily, thank you. Caitlin Collins is going to be talking on Friday at UGA about her book, Making Motherhood Work, How Women Manage Careers and Caregiving. There are details on our website, gpbnews.org. We're going to leave you with the song Mother by Sugarland. I'm going to resist singing happy birthday to my mother. Happy birthday to my mother. She's 93. Patricia Prescott. 11 kids. She did a lot of work in and out of the home.